Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 44. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have Marshall Carper. Marshall is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, an author, and he is the founder of Carper Communications, a content marketing agency. The main topic of this episode is marketing and sales. When I asked Marshall about a piece of advice for you, the listener, on how to get your name out, his answer inspired me to title the podcast, How to Get Your Name Out. And I decided to expand on his message during the final thoughts after the interview, which I hope to inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way. Stay tuned right after Live Jiu-Jitsu's message. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Live Jiu-Jitsu. Live Jiu-Jitsu supports social projects in Brazil and in the United States who offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to buy new mats, uniforms, tournament registrations, and the monthly expenses of these projects. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donates all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Live Jiu-Jitsu. For more information, please visit www.livejujitsu.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Marshall Carper. Marshall is a brown belt in Jiu-Jitsu. He is the author of several Jiu-Jitsu books, including titles like The Cauliflower Chronicles and Marcelo Garcia's Advanced Jiu-Jitsu Techniques. Currently, Marshall teaches jiu-jitsu in Pittsburgh, runs a content marketing agency called Carper Communications, and develops brand-based video games for organizations around the world. Marshall, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. And another shout-out to John Thomas, who was here in Episode 7, who made this connection for the interview. Great dude. Great episode. What an amazing human being John is. Yes. Uh, yeah, he's, he's absolutely incredible, and it was very cool to make this connection, but I just want to emphasize to your listeners, if they haven't checked out John's work at Tap Cancer Out, yes. they definitely need to do that. He's making big waves in the community in, in several different <laughs> with several different efforts. Yeah, we've been talking, for people who don't, don't, don't know, I live in Arizona. He's been planning on bringing Tap Cancer Out to Arizona. I don't know if it's going to happen this year yet. He's trying to fit in the schedule, if not early 2020. But That'd be cool. Possible tournaments here, so pretty cool. So, how did BJJ show up in your life? Oh wow! Um, so I got bullied a lot when I was a kid. Okay. So I was uh, that kind of classic martial arts story where I watched a lot of Bruce Lee and a lot of Karate Kid movies. Um, but I was never allowed to do any of that when I was young. My parents didn't let me do any sort of contact sports, so I didn't get into jiu-jitsu until I started college. Um, that was around like 2006 that I started training. Okay. And how do you feel BJJ relate to life after how many years you've been uh, training right now? Four, no, 14 years? It's, it's like 13-ish, something, okay. something like that. It's been, uh, it's been a minute. I've been at it for a little bit. Um, it's, uh, so at this point, it's hard for me to separate jiu-jitsu from my identity. I've been doing it for so long. So for like a third of my life, I've been doing jiu-jitsu at this point. So it's kind of a part of who I am uh, to the point that like when I've had some serious injuries, I had some really existential questions and conversations with myself and my wife about like, if I have to stop jujitsu, like, what does that mean for who Marshall is at this point? Cause I've just been doing it for so long. Um, for me, jujitsu is a, uh, is a lens into myself. Um, it lets me challenge myself in interesting ways, but these days jujitsu is a lot more about the way I get to connect with the people around me that I train with. And it's a lot more about um, what it really means to be committed to mastery of something. 
that sort of long-term journey, you know, uh, in the business world, they, they always talk about the long tail, right? You have that, like that short spike up front where you get a bunch of sales and then you have that long drift that kind of trails out. And jujitsu is very much about that long trail, at least for me. So uh, that long journey is, is really where I'm finding the most rewards in the sport at this point. Beautiful. I see that you have been writing books for quite some time. You're a very active writer too in blogs and so forth. So when did you start getting involved with writing, regardless for jujitsu, but writing in general? Yeah. So I started writing um, about the time I started training jujitsu. So I was like 19 when I got my first official paid contract. Um, that was actually for a Nintendo DS game called The Black Sigil. I did some of the character dialogue for that game. Um, the game is not not that great, but I got to write for it a little bit, which is kind of cool. is a, a nice way to start my career. And then shortly after that, I got into jiu-jitsu writing. Um, at that point, uh, the sport was still pretty young. MMA was relatively young. Like the ultimate fighter was just starting to catch on. So the, the door for me to get into writing about the sport was pretty new. And I was one of the early people through that door. So that meant that um, I had access to a lot of opportunities that if I'd started writing today would be a lot harder to get to. So I got pretty lucky. I was pretty fortunate in that respect. So I started doing some journalism and that eventually spun into doing the book stuff. And what about Carper Communications? When did you have the spark to start that? So Carper Communications in various forms has existed since I started writing. I mean, yes. it, it kind of spun out of me being a freelancer. But as an agency itself, we've been around for seven years now as a, as a formal agency. But I've been doing that kind of work since I was 19. Okay. And how was that transition of you actually going in with the um, corporate communications, what are some of the, let's say some of the struggles per se in the beginning, how was the mindset of starting this new company? How was it? Uh, pretty brutal. Um, so the way I really spun into focusing on the marketing aspect of writing. So I started in journalism, right? And that kind of made a natural segue to doing advertising copy. And as I was doing the books at the same time, it turned out that writing the books was the easy part, but really the hard part is getting people to buy the books. So kind of a necessity of being a book author is also being a yes. book marketer. So I had to learn a lot of this digital marketing stuff on the fly just to survive with the products I was releasing and, and have, a, have a bigger impact with those products. Um, so I was leaning pretty hard into the book track until Borders Group. I don't know if you remember Borders Books, the old, yes. uh, the old Borders Bookstores. Well, uh, when they went out of business, when they filed bankruptcy, that hit me pretty hard. Um, I had a bunch of contracts with a, a fight publisher at the time. And as soon as Borders filed bankruptcy, I lost all those contracts. Uh, my wife and I, uh, she was my girlfriend at the time. We had moved to Las Vegas from Pittsburgh to be closer to the publisher, to do this work. We were there for six months and then Borders threw in the towel. And that totally disrupted the publishing industry for a good year and a half. But the immediate impact for us was I lost all my work. So when I came back to Pittsburgh, I had this set of skills. I knew I could write. I was starting to get into the marketing end of things with the writing. And it was totally by survival that I started doing more marketing, more marketing, more marketing. And I turned around one day and it's like, I actually have a marketing business at this point because all the freelance work that I was pulling together, the bulk of it was working with clients. And it's like, I think this is actually my path now. I think this is actually where my career needs to go. And I need to embrace that because if I'm kind of straddling doing one or the other, I'm not going to do either one really well. So I've put my focus into marketing and I've had a blast ever since. But getting it started, um, I mean, it's a classic entrepreneur problem of finding customers. Okay. You have to get in front of prospects. You have to do the sales. Uh, then you have to manage all of the logistics that come after that. For me, doing the stuff like executing the campaigns, doing the writing, that's always been the easy part. All the stuff that trips you up, uh, at least for me in a business, is all the stuff that's not in that core execution category. So, hey, how do taxes work? Or, hey, how should you write your contracts? How do you do contracts if you don't have a good attorney on retainer because you can't afford one yet because you're a broke freelancer? <laughs> all these uh, classic entrepreneur problems um, were where most of the struggles were. But I was fortunate to, 
to connect with some really great clients early on that uh, made that process probably easier than a lot of people have had it. Cool. Sounds like it was very organic, the transition from what you're just doing when you notice, like, as you mentioned, just became a business, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it's strange because I have similar talks with clients now because a lot of times when you're so focused on your work, you're like nose to nose with it. It's hard to see the big picture of what's going on in your life or in your business. And it's not surprising. You, it's not surprising to me, but uh, listeners might be surprised how often I would get inside of a business and look at the data of where their revenue is actually coming from or the reasons their customers are actually engaging with them. And a lot of times what is actually bringing them profit is not what their picture of the business is. Um, customers are coming to them for a different reason to use the same service. And you kind of have to rethink how the business is positioned, what the business is doing. But you have to sit back sometimes and look at it to really understand what's happening. Because it could be right in front of your face and you don't know. Absolutely. And I relate in a way with the journey of starting something next thing, like, oh, I guess I have a business here. With For people who don't know, I've been to, we're in 2019. I always like to mention the year because I plan on this being out for 30, 40 years for when people listen back. So I, I like to always frame what year we're at. And I started, so I've been a promoter at this point for 20 years in tournaments. Mm-hmm. And it started as, man, those tournaments here are awful and I want to provide something better. So it was just kind of like, hey, it's just me doing tournament. And now it became a company. So for me, it was the, exactly what it said, the grow, growing pains of apparently this is a company. And I next thing, like, I, yeah, I have employees. Yeah, it is officially a company. So for me, the same, same way that there's no one, Gustavo, we do this, do that. It's just you go books, you pick up tips here and there and learn with a lot of mistakes. And now I'm still not where I'm at as far as system goes for my events, but we have improved a lot and super excited with the growth. But uh, it's nice when it's like that, the normal transition that kind of flows in. And yeah, it would be nice when you look back some of the basic mistakes or basic things that you didn't know but you definitely did the best you could with what you knew. So for all the listeners who were in that journey or maybe going through the transition right now of organic transition that you realize that, oh, wow, I do have a business here. Earlier, the better be attacking great books or courses or seminars, mentors, and there's so, so much content. If you look back compared to when you started to now, dude, there's so much free content out there now, you know? Yeah, and there's something super critical about that moment where you realize it's a business. Because as soon as you say, oh, this is a business, then at least in my opinion, there's several questions that come after that of like, okay, if this is actually my business, if this is actually my job now, what does that mean? And usually that means all the things that you just talked about. Now we're looking at tracking revenue. Now we're looking at employees. Now we're looking at growth forecasts. Now we're looking at marketing plans. When it goes from this hobby that kind of pays you in ways, and that's cool, but when it's the business, it changes the dynamic a lot. So uh, I always hesitate to ride the organic train all the way through. Like it feels good to just like, oh, I'm going to flow with it. I'm going to get the opportunities. But a lot of, a lot of the biggest opportunities don't happen totally organically. A lot of the biggest opportunities, you have to go out and dig them out. You have to hunt them down. You have to make them happen. Absolutely. So I, 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 knowing it's a business now should come with also a big mindset shift, at least I feel like. Yeah. I always like to, talking about mindset, I always like to ask about this of how was your mindset back then? So that's an interesting question. Um, Part of my mindset in general, and this is kind of ever since I was a kid, I've always been a, a bit of a crazy person in the sense that if I had an idea to do something, I always felt like I could do it. No matter how weird it was, how outlandish it was, if I wanted to write for video games when I was 19, I could find a path to write for video games when I was 19. Um, and it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that it comes with without pain or without struggle, but I've always had this idea that if I want something, I can go get it. 
or if I want something to exist, I can build it. I can figure that out. So a lot of times that means teaching myself new things. Like I taught, I taught myself to edit video. I taught myself to edit podcasts. Um, when I was getting into marketing originally, and even now there's a ton of self-education where reading books, listening to podcasts, uh, going to videos, doing seminars, all that kind of stuff of if I want to get somewhere, I can make it happen. So my mindset has kind of always been like that in terms of how I approach life and my work. I'm pretty obsessive about my work um, to the point that the line between my work and my hobbies, there isn't really one. Pretty much all my hobbies are also my work, which uh, I've been told is not the healthiest thing. But I can't help that. Um, so what's changed, though, originally my mindset, um, I didn't have a super strong grasp on business principles. Okay. So I was out there building stuff, and I was just running as fast as I could on building things. Um, but I didn't really have that CEO perspective on what that means for an industry or what that means for a market. And as I've grown up, I'm still trying to be an adult. Um, I'm trying to take a lot more of that 30,000 foot view of if I make a choice today, what does that mean five years from now? What does that mean 10 years from now? Because I feel like when I was 19, 20 in college, I could make a three month bet on something hey, let's build this, see what happens. If it doesn't work, nah, I lost a couple months, no big deal. But now I'm in my 30s, I feel like all the bets I'm making are five-year bets, 10-year bets, where if I'm really going to make a meaningful go at a business idea or a product, it's got to be a bit more for the long term. And that shifts a lot of how I have to approach those decisions. You did mention about the struggle, what happened when borders went out of business, for example. Now, would you say, is this your biggest entrepreneurial struggle or not? And if, uh, if you want to share a different one, or regardless what you share, if it's either this one or a different one, the most important is what was the lesson? What did you learn from it? So whether this one that you mentioned or a different one? Well, um, my secret is I'm always struggling. <laughs> um, it's, I'm, I'm always on the struggle bus. Uh, I, sometimes I'm driving it. Um, so the borders experience sticks out because I was young and that failure, well, I mean, I guess you could argue whether it's a failure or not, but that experience of making a gamble on moving my girlfriend to Las Vegas, betting my career on this industry, that industry shifting pretty rapidly. Um, it was pretty painful financially. Um, we were homeless for a little bit. Uh, we got back to Pittsburgh by counting the change in our cup holder to buy gas. It was pretty down to the wire to get back to Pittsburgh to couch surf for a little bit till we get stable. Um, so it's memorable for those reasons, but I think what that experience really framed for me was that uh, that relationship was getting serious and suddenly it wasn't, oh yeah, if I screw up, I just eat ramen noodles for a couple months. That's cool. I can train for free because I teach a little bit. So I'm good. I can sleep on a couch or on a mattress and I'm fine. But now that I had a girlfriend and she was on, the, on her way to becoming my wife, every choice I made also affected her. So if I wasn't making smart choices in my work, in my professional life, um, that would mean that her life was also harder as a result. So that meant that I had to pay a lot more attention to everything that I was doing. Um, but in general though, I've kind of tried to always force myself into a position where every day is a healthy struggle. Um, as soon as you get comfortable, I feel like you stop growing. And that's kind of become a little bit of a, uh, a cliche, but it's true that if you're going to be aiming big and looking for bigger opportunities, it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to bloody your nose a bit, a little bit. You're supposed to get beat up because if you're not getting beat up, there's a good training tie-in. <laughs> if you're not getting beat up, uh, you're not tapping out sometimes, you're probably not learning and challenging yourself enough. Interesting thing too, that when I look back, and I don't know if the listeners will agree or you agree or when I look back, some of the struggle that, that I had, some of the struggles, just do something to our humility level. When you have to swallow the humble pill that, that didn't work, 
okay. Swallow your pride, your ego, and let's grow from this. And it's hard when people are not ready to swallow that pill and might be blaming that, oh, this and that, oh, they, but da, 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 da. And I always think about that, how this helps you bring us back to, okay, I don't have full control of everything. There's some things that are going to happen. I have no control of it. So how do you feel that that have even affected your humility? Not that you're not, you know what I mean. And it's not that you're a cocky or whatever, but sometimes you put expectations or think that we're doing this. Yeah, things are flowing great and then bring it back. I'm like, okay, yeah, we'll have to take our time. How you see that? Um, yeah, I don't really understand the questions. I'm the greatest business person that's ever existed. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, no, I mean, you're, you're totally right. It, uh, it definitely resets your system yes. where you, uh, so I remember being a super hotshot blue belt to kind of jump back into the jitsu side of things, super hotshot blue belt. And I thought I was the greatest grappler in the world because I was just wrecking everybody that I was rolling with. And then this dude comes in like a foot shorter than me, his belt's tied all wrong. His gi doesn't fit. And I'm like, I'm about to wreck this guy. Like this guy has no idea what's happening. And he destroyed me. Turns out career wrestler, professional MMA fighter, was just doing some gi jiu-jitsu to kind of supplement his training, but had done a massive amount of no gi training. It's like, okay, that's what happens when it's not about getting too big for your britches, but not um, accurately assessing what's in front of you. Cause after that match, I was like, I should have noticed the cauliflower ear. I should have noticed the brow line was a little bit more hardened than your average, average person. Um, it is cause as soon as you get out over your skis or lose touch with reality a little bit, get a little too into your own, into your own Kool-Aid. Yeah. You get punched in the gut. You have to have to kind of step back and say, I need to take this more seriously. And I need to give this process more respect than I've been giving it. Um, but the reality of business is that the majority of businesses fail, right? So if you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to run any kind of business, um, you're at least going to have a down quarter, if not have to shut down an LLC at some point. Um, and then if you're doing any sort of sales, like I do a lot of direct sales and I have a sales coach and I'm always out there prospecting for new clients. And the reality of sales is that the majority of the people you meet don't become clients. So that feels like a lot of failure. That feels like a lot of rejection and that sucks, but it's also the only way you grow. So yeah, you have to eat the humble pie and then go back for seconds <laughs> if you, if you want to get to the other side of it. Great answer. Now, what suggestion would you give to the entrepreneurs out there, to the listeners who want to get their name out, get their brand out? Online marketing, it's huge right now. And whoever is not on that page, they're behind, period. Whoever is not getting more information or even either learning or hire someone to do that kind of stuff. So since you're a specialist in this, what suggestions do you have for people who want to brand their Brand themselves, get their word out. Yeah, so the uh, the awesome thing and the terrible thing about the state of marketing right now is that there's almost an infinite number of things that you can be doing for your marketing. So when I sit down with a client and we start deciding what their marketing should be, very rarely is there a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, there's some general stuff, like you should probably be on social media. You should probably be using email marketing. You should definitely have a website. There's all these kind of like basic must-haves, yes. but how you do how you use those tools is going to be pretty radically different from industry to industry. So, for example, we have a lot of clients that 100% of their social media marketing is LinkedIn because that's where their prospects are. It actually it. doesn't make sense for them to invest a bunch in Facebook or Instagram um, just because that's just the nature of their business. Um, then we have clients that are the exact opposite where pretty much the majority of their social media activities on Instagram and Facebook, and they don't really mess with the other platforms because they have so much traction there and we keep doubling down on that. I think the bigger takeaway for entrepreneurs is that, um, if you're doing marketing for your business or for yourself, you need to be paying attention to the data and you need to be looking at the real best practices that make it impactful. Um, I see a bunch of 
people that start an Instagram and think that, oh, if I just get my Instagram account up to 10,000 followers, my business is going to do great. But really, it's not about the high score on Instagram. It's about, are you connected to the right people? Are the right people engaging with your content and sharing your content? Because anybody can get a bunch of followers, but are they meaningful followers? So really look for the conversion metrics that pop out of all the marketing efforts that you're doing. Um, and that's really going to help you guide what your efforts are. So if what you're doing in marketing is not getting you customers, it doesn't matter how cool it makes you feel. It doesn't matter uh, how much money you put into it. It needs to result in actual conversions. And then the last piece of marketing advice I would give is uh, you should go buy my book called The Innovative Brand. Innovative Brand. Let me write this down. But uh, there's actually a lot of other great books out there that are better than mine. Anything by Seth Godin is good, for example. What is the main core message that you have for the book, if you have to say, for your book? Uh, yeah, it's all about developing your marketing niche. So if you're doing your marketing the same way as all your competitors are doing their marketing, then you're going to lose as soon as someone outspends you or uh, puts more resources into it than you are. So if you're doing, if you're developing a marketing plan, you need to find a way to innovate, even if it's in a small way, it doesn't have to be a grandiose innovation, but you need to be doing something different at some point in your marketing to uh, engage fans in a way that makes them remember you. So the book breaks, breaks down your marketing process into a sales funnel and then walks you through a process for identifying what layer of the sales funnel you can innovate on and how you might go about making that innovation. So basically it takes a lot of the workshops that we do with clients and puts it into like a self-study version where you can walk through the process yourself without me doing it with you. Let me ask you this. It, of course, it's a tough question for you to answer, but let's talk about jujitsu schools, okay? Oh. If you have to say a percentage of schools that do not use sales funnel to capture leads and all this thing. If you have to give a guess ballpark, what do you say the percentage of people that do not actually use a proper system? I mean, I would say it's 90, 95%. Um, I believe. I've talked, yeah, I mean, I've talked to a lot of Jiu-Jitsu school owners. I've done, um, I've had Jiu-Jitsu schools, MA schools as clients. Um, I've also done a good bit of pro bono work. I mean, you know how it goes. I'm sure you have a lot of people that are just like, hey, uh, what do you think of this? Can you, can you help me out? And it's like, they start picking your brain about things. Um, so that happens a lot to me and that's totally cool. I don't, I don't mind it. Um, but honestly, the majority of business owners in general, especially when it comes to the brick and mortar types, like a jiu-jitsu school where you have a physical location, a lot of them, they don't know what they don't know about marketing. Yes. So it's, uh, they're doing their best and I totally respect them because it's hard to, to be a small business owner. Um, but the majority of business owners out there have major gaps in their marketing and jujitsu schools are even worse because, you know, you love jujitsu. So you're like, man, I'll start a school. And since I love it so much and I'm a great teacher and you probably are, they think, ah, everything will, everything will flow after that. And it turns out that's not quite the case. I've seen a lot of great instructors not have successful gyms because of all the other business stuff that weighs them down. I tell you what, from, I can say that from my friends, my personal friends and possibly affiliates, I can count whoever is doing that. Mm -hmm. Hope, I, if I'm being super positive, both hands, but I think I might be able to count with <laughs> one hand what people are doing. And when I talk with a, a few friends, I say like, man, now I have an, a, comp a company who does the same, the marketing, all the kind of stuff, the funnels, all the kind of stuff. And I tell them, about Facebook, I say, yeah, man, create a landing page, all that kind of stuff. And they say, yeah, I've been posting, bo uh, boosting posts on Facebook. I do this, not the same thing. You got to understand that. And they like, yeah, yeah, I'm looking, but I, it's, it's hard. I, I, and I totally understand. We talk about small business. Sometimes you don't have the money to invest. If you don't have the money to invest, you better sit and invest time and learn something. You got to learn something. You got whatever you're doing right now that is not working. Suddenly it's not going to get better. You have to do something else. But at the same time, at one point, take the risk to invest on someone to help with your marketing. And one of the things that I say, I drive my wife crazy with this because she's, you're crazy. You are spending money. I'm like, okay, we don't, we can, can see. Sometimes she can see the vision that I see. 
but I'm willing to give it a try. And I tell her, and that's how I think all the listeners need to think my suggestion. This is just how I feel. And I told my wife, last, even last week, I told her many times, I said, I'm like a quarterback. Not every time I throw, it's a catch or it's a touchdown. Sometimes I overthrow, sometimes fumble, intercept it, whatever. I love if it, all my throws are... Here's the thing I have. Yeah, I do hit a lot of throws, but I miss too. But I don't even have time to be dwelling on my overthrows or the fumbles or whatever. Just let's go, dude. They didn't work. Let's go. And people sometimes get emotionally attached to, oh, I lost $3,000. I lost or, or whatever. Man, move on. Maybe this wasn't. And then people work with someone. There's so many people doing funnels and stuff like that. And, you know, there are a lot of professionals that should not be in business, period. So people experience one guy say like, yeah, I already paid an agency. They didn't do anything. And like, how many did you work? One is that the only one there's bad professionals in area or any area, teachers, doctors, whatever. And you just got to do your research and actually go for it. So I feel that perfect what he said and not having, don't even know what they don't know. But uh, what else What else can you give to, to some people that I know that just starting? There's some people just starting this journey and saying, man, I have no idea what Marshall's talking about. So <laughs> if they say, Marshall, I cannot afford your book, do you have any other suggestion? Well, so um, before we dive into that, I, I want to I I pick up on a couple of things that you brought up because you made yeah. some really, really cool points. So the whole like quarterback analogy, like you're totally right. Uh, uh, the greatest quarterbacks in the world, they don't throw 100% of the time. And it's, it's the, the percentage is way less than that, right? But nobody remembers the major misses. They yeah. remember the Super Bowl, Hail Mary. Like that, that's what sticks in their mind. And when it comes to business and marketing, if you look at what venture capitalists recommend or what angel investors recommend, so people that it's their job, to pick the best business ideas possible and then invest an insane amount of money in those businesses. Those people approach business with the strategy of if I make 10 investments, nine of those investments are going to be nothing. And one of those investments will make up for the other nine. Right. So, so they go in with, with millions and millions of dollars and they expect to miss nine out of 10 times. But if they get that one win, that one wins big enough that it doesn't matter. They miss nine times. And those are some of the, like the smartest business people in the world making those, making those choices. So it's not fair to be a small business owner and expect that you get one shot and that's your only shot. And if you don't make it, then you're done. And honestly, if you're starting a business that way, I think if you start a business with a do or die kind of mentality, a lot of times it sets you up for failure. Um, because um, so Seth Godin, he's a marketing author. I'm sure you're familiar with him. Um, I, I hope your listeners get familiar with him. If, if they're not, uh, he made a comment in one of his uh, in one of his interviews that he never recommends betting the house. Because if you have to bet your house, bet your family's livelihood on your business idea, you're probably backing yourself into a corner where you're sure. not going to make the smartest decision, right? Because if you're at the point where like, oh, if this can't fail then you're going to stretch that business idea out way longer than you should and probably get yourself in worse trouble. Um, then the other thing you mentioned about picking how business owners or gym owners can pick a marketing person to work with. So if you're hiring a marketing person, you should always get the tracking and the marketing down to relevant metrics. So Facebook ad gurus, a lot of times they'll be like, oh yeah, we got this many clicks or we got this many impressions or we got this many leads, quote unquote, you should be tracking that all the way through to who becomes a customer. How many customers did you get from this campaign? And yeah, that number is not going to be super solid. There's a little bit of fuzziness to that metric. But if you're paying someone to run Google ads for you or Facebook ads for you, you should be able to say, I put in $1,000. I got this many dollars back out the other side. And if that person is not willing to have that conversation with you, you should probably move on and talk to another marketer. So I derailed the question that you asked me we swing back to that question if it was if they started it they can't afford you know the book or they completely started what it's one suggestion for them to to do what to do 
Yeah. So um, the digital version of my book is free on my website. Sweet. So you can definitely afford it. So I'll, I'll, I'll throw <laughs> that out there. Um, there's a ton of great marketing podcasts. Uh, there's a ton of free marketing materials. So for me, my usual, uh, my usual orbit on business stuff is I listen to This Week in Startups with Jason Calacanis. Okay. So that's uh, like my favorite podcast. It's like tech startup oriented, but in that they get into really nitty gritty of what it takes to build a business and grow a business, especially if the idea is, is new and untested. So you get some really cool business insights there. Um, so business podcasts are a great way to go. And then if you can track it down, Seth Godin did a series called um, startup school, I think is what it was. It was on Earwolf. So if you Google that, it's a limited series where he basically did a boot camp for entrepreneurs and there's a lot of great nuts and bolts marketing advice in there that's timeless and i definitely recommend checking that out awesome what would you say is the one high performance habit that you have that helps you in every in everything in your life high performance habit um so the big secret i've been getting into that's really helped my productivity is i get up super early so i try to start my day by 5 a.m if i can um and the hack there is that nobody bothers me for that set time. So it's, I don't think it's so much that I get up early is the important part. I think it's that I'm able to set aside three to four hours before my phone starts ringing, before my email really kicks off. So if I wake up at five, I can jam through a ton of work because I can just turn my music on and just work. I find that once the day gets started, client calls, this thing catches on fire. I have to go do these emails. Then what was an hour long task can turn into three or four because I have to keep stopping and starting. So that's been, that's been super important to me. But uh, beyond that, I think it's just uh, keep getting back up. If you get knocked down, like just don't quit. Keep trying to find new solutions, new options, new paths. Awesome. So what is the best advice you've ever received in any area? Ooh, um, the could best be jujitsu that could be business. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I love to tell this story. Um, so when I was in high school, I was a pretty terrible student. Uh, I almost didn't graduate cause of truancy cause I skipped so much school <laughs> and, uh, didn't turn in most of my homework. I had pretty abysmal grades. So I applied to a state school in my area mostly because I knew I'd probably get in. My SAT scores weren't bad. So I get there, I'm there for orientation. And this old guy, he's got glasses, gray hair, and it's kind of like disheveled hair, like a crazy genius looking kind of guy. Pulls me aside and he introduces himself. He's the director of the honors, honors program. It's Dr. Shoot is his name. And he, uh, he says, listen, your grades are, uh, am I allowed to curse on your podcast? You'd rather Go ahead. not. Uh, <laughs> Go okay. ahead. So this is a direct quote. He says, your grades are shit, but your SAT scores are pretty good. So that tells me you weren't challenged. I want you to try the honors program. I think you do great things. And before I could answer, he puts his finger up. He goes, but wait, don't fucking embarrass me. <laughs> and for some reason, that idea of don't embarrass the people that brought you in and put their faith in you kind of shifted my worldview pretty rapidly in that moment of – you know, if I bring a client in and I do work for that client, failing is different from embarrassing that client. Because if we do all the right things, if we, if we treat them with respect, we, we do our business with integrity, and we literally do our best for that client, that's not an embarrassing situation, right? The embarrassing situation is I didn't show up for work one day, so this email didn't get answered. The website stayed down for three days longer. So I, this idea of people are believing in you live up to that is really helped me move my life forward. I like that. And we talked a little bit about that, your, your early days, but what advice would you give to, your, to, to the younger Marshall when started that journey with um, Carp Communications? And what did you say to him? I know that you said a few things already. But if you could have a conversation, say something to him, what would you, what would you tell him? Um, I would tell him he should have invested in Bitcoin 
and he probably should have got out of Bitcoin around 2017. That's 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 probably <laughs> the biggest. <laughs> um, <laughs> now that that's a that's a tough question. I get that kind of question a lot in these sorts of interviews, and it's hard for me to pick out a specific piece of advice because as much as I've struggled, as much as I've hit some roadblocks in my life, it's all gotten me to where I am. Absolutely. And I, I'm happy about where I am. Uh, not saying I enjoyed every step of the way, but I, I like where I'm at. So I guess in that sense, I would just tell younger Marshall not to take things so hard. It's not as bad as you think. You'll be all right. So uh, yeah. don't be don't be such a baby. I guess is uh, <laughs> is what I would tell him. I like I start asking this question too, just because I have a son. He's eighteen, and I start thinking, what would I say to my to myself when I was eighteen? Of course, I I wouldn't want anything different, right? Like you said, I'm. We are what we are right now because of the choices that we made and mm-hmm. and so forth. So, but I look back and say, if I can give maybe advice to my son or something that he is maybe in a similar journey and, and I say, man, I live this just to let you know this is out there. Of course, not necessarily they going to listen because you have to go through the experience to see, oh, okay, now I understand. You know, so I, I look at more at this way of even you mentoring someone or you see someone doing someone that you did or like, man, I've seen that movie and try to bring that up to serve someone, you know? Yeah, so uh, props to you for being a father. I mean, that's that that that's crazy. <laughs> I can't imagine having an eighteen-year-old. That's uh, so much responsibility. Um, so yeah, so I do a lot of these like high school visits and college visits where I talk to students about career stuff, and I'm always amazed by how much talent there is in people. So I'll do a high school talk, and some like fourteen-year-old will walk up to me and flip open a sketchbook. And it's some of the most beautiful art I've ever seen, right? And they have pages and pages of work that they've done. And the reality is, the sad reality is that a lot of these people that have these talents or these ideas or these desires for their life never actually go for it. True. Right? So try building something. Just do it. There's a lot of ways to do it that, that don't mean gambling your life on it. If you're, if you're passionate about something, if you want to make something a business, if you want to make something your life pursuit, there's no reason you should wait. And I'm always telling these kids that like, hey, if you're 14, 15 and you want to make a movie, go make a movie. It's probably not going to be like, you know, the next uh, Citizen Kane, but that's okay. You can make a movie now. You can make a video game now. You can start a business when you're 16. You can do all this stuff. There's no reason to wait for it. Everyone wants to like check the classic boxes of, I got an education. I did this. I did that. You can build it today. And there's no reason not to start building it today. And great point that you brought. And here's the thing. Sometimes, not sometimes, a lot of the times, mention a kid like that to have a book that you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. All the, the art and stuff. And very often people don't pursue because of the get influenced by other people's opinions, like the parents, like what art, what you're not going to make any money. You're not going to be successful and that they just keep, well, whatever the highest authority is saying, I guess they got to be right. And that is a, that is a tough one. And I always bring this up with uh, Les Brown's, quote that someone's opinion of you don't have to become your reality that's their opinion that's all that is and of course the parents or they always on their mind they're doing the best say this here is the best for them on their mind they they saying don't pursue that they try to help you no i'm preventing you from getting pain that you're not going to achieve and you're going to fail. So I'm trying to give you a heads up. So they pass their low self-esteem to their kids and to other people around and people don't filter. Next thing, this kid has this book for the rest of his life. You die with those things drawing at home and it's sad. It is, uh, it's tragic. It's tragic yes. how, many, how many brilliant, talented people either never give it a shot or they never get a chance, right? Um, and you're totally right about 
the outside perspective, especially if it's anything that's non-traditional. And frankly, if you're a real entrepreneur, you're not picking up a classic business. You're, the definition of entrepreneurship is you're doing something different, right? You're, you're going outside the mold. You're trying a new product idea, a new service idea. Um, when I got the call that I was, that my first book was accepted by a publisher, um, Eris Krauss, Victory Bell Publishing. Victory Bell Publishing did like the original jujitsu books. Like they did Eddie Bravo's first books. Um, they worked Marcelo Garcia, BJ Penn. They did a lot of these kind of books originally. So when I got a call from Eris, she was like one of my heroes. And he said, hey man, I read your chapters. We want to publish your book. I'm emailing you the contract, $5,000 advance. Does that work? And I was like a broke kid right out of college ecstatic and in that moment i saw what that book would mean for my future I, I saw what doors it would open i saw how my career would change so i rush home i grab a six-pack on the way home get to my parents house throw the beer on the table and i'm like so excited to tell them that i got this book published that i'm going to be a published author that my career is on the way and my parents looked at the contract and they're like it's only five thousand dollars that's not going to go very far and that was so deflating because they did not, they couldn't see what that would mean for the future. And in that moment, like it was, it was crushing, it was crushing. Cause I was so excited. I wanted someone to share it with, but for them, it was like, man, you're creative writing major. Why, what kind of career is there in creative writing? And it's like, it turns out there's a lot, but if you just look at it as the stereotypical, well, you're just going to be a, you're going to just sketch in your sketchbook. You're just going to write novels. Yeah. Okay. Nobody does that. Uh, it's really easy to to lose faith in yourself and give up on things. Yeah, when I was younger, I decided that I wanted to pursue jujitsu. Really, when I was I was in transition from sixteen to seventeen, that was already very clear. I may have mentioned this in a podcast before that my family saw me training jujitsu and then just thought, "Oh, jujitsu is great, sports great, keep away keep away from trouble, drugs, yeah, great." And I said, "Yeah, I want to do this for a living." And yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. And when it started getting close, I, I did go to college for physical education more because when I was, I went to a public public school, so I, I went uh, for free for four years. So my mom couldn't really say anything. And it was uh, an experience that going in, because in Brazil, they really crack on stuff like people having gyms, because I never thought about really living abroad. I just, all the image that I have of jiu-jitsu schools in Brazil, it's like 90% you have a jiu-jitsu program inside a gym, a fitness gym. It's mm -hmm. rare to see a place that is just an academy. I'm saying in Brazil, usually it's a gym. And then even if they had a room that just stays there just for it. So they always crack on that, how physical uh, educa uh, education professionals need to have their diploma and stuff like that. So in my mind, I was, wow, I'm going to make a living in jiu-jitsu. I want to get a degree that's going to help me with my jiu-jitsu career. So when I have the gym, and then eventually my life went to a different direction. And when I was graduating, that's when I came to Compete US and then had my first experience. Three months later, I came in. So when I told my mom that I was going, today my mom is my best friend, but that back then, of course, she was a great friend back then too. But she didn't understand back then. She had a different mindset. She was like, what are you talking about? You're going to be a PE teacher. You're not going to make any money. How are we going to make money with medals and stuff like that? Winning medals, what the, what's it going to do? So, and I, looking back, I understand she was doing, the, that's what she saw from my grandpa saying that this is, this is the perception of success. Success means you do this, you get a job, you, get, you graduate, and then the whole cycle. And I understand that. But I'm the one that had to break the, the cycle. And I think this is so important for all the listeners, man. When you look back and all your grand grandparents and grandparents and parents, what are you doing? And, and they just being, the cycle just being repeated. And it's up to you if you want to break the cycle or not. If it's not in alignment with what you believe, you have to break that cycle. Otherwise, you'll be chasing happiness for the rest of your life and you're never going to be fulfilled. So I was, <laughs> I always say that I was considered the rebel of the family. Like, Gustavo, he's crazy. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with him. I've been trying to tell him to be successful. He doesn't listen to me. And like years later, I became the entrepreneur of the year or something for the family. <laughs> and I'm ah. like, oh, now I see. But they couldn't see and that's okay. 
And that's okay. Not everyone has that entrepreneurial DNA, that thing that really, you have that vision and you know where you're going. And I feel that it's super important for the listeners. Even let's say someone's about to start, man, understanding even why you're doing all this, why it's so meaningful to you that no matter what others say, you're going to do it, period. You're not asking for permission. You just let them then know, yo, this is what I'm doing. What? Okay, well, let's agree and disagree, but this is what I'm doing. So I just came here as a respect to let you know. And that's basically the approach when I moved to the U.S., a lot of people said, man, you're nuts. You don't know anybody there and da, 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 all this stuff. But I was so clear with, I had to explore. I have to do it. I've been here in Brazil for 24 years. I had to explore. And so basically the message with this for the listeners is be very clear what success means to you. Don't let other people really dictate what success is for you or what they expect from you whatever they expecting it's on them there's nothing that you can do if they have their expectations for you that's on them you have no control of that just make sure that if you do have something you truly believe you you gotta go for it man definitely gotta swing nobody hits a home run swinging for singles yeah so what book would you like to recommend and um why? Let's say a good marketing book that came in when you're developing that made a good impact on you, a good marketing book that made an impact. Yeah. So um, Idea Virus by Seth Godin was a, a pretty seminal book for me. Um, pretty evergreen concepts. Some of the technologies changed in the, uh, it's probably like a decade old now that book's been around, but the the, the principles of the marketing are, are the same. Um, and then uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins, another business classic. But, Amazing uh, book. But again, the principles are pretty timeless. And in my marketing work, what I found is it's really hard to divorce marketing from the rest of the business. So if I have a client that, if, if, a, if, a, if a prospect reach out, reaches out to me and they say, hey, we need someone to run our Facebook, those tend not to be good clients for me. Uh, the best clients for me are the ones that say, hey, we need to grow which means they're open to conversations about everything that could mean. So usually the conversations we have around marketing also touch on things like customer service, client retention, product experience, product quality. Sometimes we even get into like logistics and fulfillment because, hey, if it takes extra two weeks to get this product to your door, then your customers are less excited to talk about you later. So your marketing starts to kind of drag down because the word of mar the word of mouth is not too great. So even though Jim Collins doesn't talk a lot about marketing specifically in good to great, all those decisions to me are in that wheelhouse because every choice you make in your business affects how customers are going to talk about your business later, which to me is the core of marketing. Yeah, good to great. I think that's one of the as far as business books, that's I think that's the one of the the books that made the most impact. I mean, especially talking about staff, or understanding that they say the concept of the bus even before the the bus is taken off to go to this vision that you have. Who is on the bus? You know, who's getting on the bus, and and who should not be on a bus? Are they sitting on the right seats? All that kind of stuff. That that analogy hit me in a way that I was thinking, I understand it now. It just hit, it was just so simple analogy that that's just that concept. That's the one that I was worth it. And when you look at it, what, $20, $15 for, for that is just incredible how people don't realize, oh, I don't have time to read. Oh, I can't afford well, you can buy two beers in a bar and that's it. That's, that's the book of the month or whatever, you know, but uh, yeah, great book, man. I, we have, I have brought this up in previous final thoughts before and people should definitely check it out. So what are you currently excited about? What's going on? So um, the most exciting thing for me right now, career wise is uh, invested in a company called Mega Cat Studios. So I'm their director of brand engagement. Um, so what that means is I'm basically the marketing vision for the company. So we do all brand-based games. So we make games for 
for brands that are using them as marketing tools, as lead generation tools, as customer retention tools. So that's been a ton of fun for me. Um, we have a game for a craft beer company coming out that's going to be part of their merchandising play. Uh, we work with Nickelodeon on games. We've done games for medical device manufacturers. So that's been a nice uh, full circle career experience for me, being able to swing back into the video game side of things and being able to take a lot of what I've developed in terms of engagement processes and engagement tactics with my clients and putting that into the video game realm has been a ton of fun. Awesome. And for all the listeners, we're getting close to the end of the interview. And after the interview, I give my final thoughts. So make sure you stick around for that. And how can people learn more about your work and a final message to them? Yeah. So connect me on LinkedIn. Just uh, plug in Marshall Carper on LinkedIn. Or you can uh, go to my website, marsh.al or carpercommunications.com. And uh, feel free to reach out. And if there's anything I can do to help your business, I'd be happy to. Yeah, a final message that you can give to the entrepreneurs out there who are interested, some are committed. Hopefully you are listening, you are not just interested, but committed in taking your marketing to another level, your business to another level. What message, final message you can give to them? Uh, get serious about your data and use your data to guide your business decisions. Beautiful. Marshall, thank you so much for the interview. Great content. And hopefully people were able to get some some takeaways at least some some inspiration to go search for more go seek for more information especially yes. marketing because i wish we learned marketing in, in school regular school but we don't the <laughs> uh, basic I, I, marketing but we don't yeah i taught college classes for a little bit and i was teaching marketing and it was really painful to get universities to come around to think about what modern marketing actually was. So yeah, I don't think they're going to start teaching real marketing anytime soon, unfortunately, most programs, but all the knowledge is out there if you go, if you want to go get it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Marshall. Really appreciate it. And for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Who's Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Marshall Carper. For those who are listening just to the final thoughts, Marshall is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, an author, and he is the founder of a content marketing agency called Carper Communications and develops brand-based video games for organizations around the world. I hope you were able to grab at least one good takeaway from the interview. The core of the message was related to marketing and sales. He has published multiple books and he said, quote, writing the book is the easy part. The selling part is hard, unquote. And this concept is valid in any idea or product that you want to sell. Creating the product is not the main difficulty. Selling is. When I ask him about a piece of advice for you, the listener, on how to get your name out, his answer inspired me to title the podcast, How to Get Your Name Out. And I decided to expand on his message during the final thoughts, which I hope to inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way. His final message was clear. Quote, Get serious about your data and use your data to guide your business, unquote. He said that there is no one-size-fits-all approach. He mentioned general stuff like social media, website, and email marketing. Basic must-have. Now, how you use the tools, it will vary from industry to industry. He said, quote, if you are investing in marketing, you should be looking to your data, the real best practices that make it impactful. Look for the conversions and metrics that pop out of your marketing efforts that you're doing, and that will guide what efforts you should focus on, unquote. Listen, who am I to tell you how to get your name out? I'm also a beginner. However, I hire a company for my marketing. But this interview came at an excellent time for me. As I've been studying and learning more about finances, sales, and marketing, it's one of my weakest links that I need to improve. And I believe in one year from now, in 2020, I will be a lot more knowledgeable. Now, what about you? Would you like to be more knowledgeable in a specific topic in a year from now? Well, start ASAP because until the matrix becomes real and we can just plug in and download knowledge, you have to put the work. You have to do it. No one is coming to your rescue. If you'd like to learn more about how to get your name out, how to acquire marketing knowledge or even more insight, 
invest your money on books or invest your time on YouTube. During the interview, Marshall mentioned Seth Golden, marketing genius, and even inspired me to buy the book called Tribes, We Need You to Lead Us. Let me read his about section of his website. Quote, Seth Golden is an entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, and most of all, a teacher. In addition to launching one of the most popular blogs in the world, he has written 18 best-selling books, including The Dip, Lynchpin, Purple Cow, Tribes, and What to Do When It's Your Turn, and It's Always Your Turn. Though renowned for his writing and speaking, Seth also founded Squidoo and Yo-Yo Dine, acquired by Yahoo. By focusing on everything from effective marketing and leadership to the spread of ideas and changing everything, Seth has been able to motivate and inspire countless people around the world, unquote. For those who are new to the podcast, after each interview, I like to research my takeaway to share the content with you, and I decided to study Seth Golden's online videos and interview excellent stuff. Just go to YouTube and type his name, S-E-T-H, Seth, G-O-D-I-N, Golden. I clicked on the video, Seth Golden, Advice That Changed My Life. The channel called Behind the Brand is a show about innovators, entrepreneurs, and the stories behind their success by Brian Elliott. Brian is an active writer, director, producer, journalist, and entrepreneur. At the end of his interview with Seth Golden, he said, I want to share something very personal that gets me even emotional around the time I was going through a difficult time and you gave me a piece of advice that I will never forget. Now you, the listener, I don't know your story. I'm not sure how or with who you grew up, but imagine that you were adopted as a child. And since you're a teenager, you've been searching for your birth parents. After 30 years of anxiety, doubt, and confusion to understand where you came from go by, and you finally, due to the technology and internet, you were able to trace your mother. You decide to send a letter saying, hi, I'm your biological son. Thank you. Thank you for doing one of the most selfless things that you could have done. You gave me the opportunity to have and live a better life. I appreciate you. If you like to keep in contact, I would love to get to know you. Some time goes by and you receive a letter on your name saying, Our client recognizes that she is the biological mother. However, she does not want anything to do with you. This letter is a final notice ever not to contact her again. If you do so, we will file for a restraining order. How would you feel after 30 years of looking for your mother and this happened? That is exactly what happened with Brian. Around the time he talked with Golden, he was feeling sorry for himself, feeling like a victim. He had a few interactions with Seth Golden before this 2010 conversation. However, it was the first time they were able to sit down for a full chat while going through this personal issue. He didn't talk about it, though. He was struggling professionally due to the crisis of a couple years before, and his self-esteem was low. And Brian told Seth, Seth, I'm struggling. I have this great idea to start this new web series, this show called Behind the Brand, but my business is about to close. I don't know what to do. And Seth said to Brian, listen, in this story, there is no Prince Charming. There are no rescue boats and no one is coming to your rescue. Stop waiting to get picked. The Today Show is not calling. CNN is not going to call you. You're not going to get scooped up. It's up to you. Brian mentioned in the interview, he was right. I was waiting to get picked, waiting for my rescue, and that just pierced my heart like no other, he said. He realized that he was playing the victim, and he decided to act and persevere. By 2019, prior guests to Behind the Brand include pro skateboarding legend Tony Hawk, outspoken entrepreneur Gary Vaynerchuk, the dog whisperer Cesar Milan, and motivational coach Tony Robbins. What about you? Are you waiting for the Prince Charming? Are you waiting for the rescue boats? If you're not good for you, keep it up. Now, if you are waiting, hear the bad news. No one is coming to your 
rescue. You have to act and persevere. If marketing is a weak link that you have, either you hire someone to help your company or you learn yourself. If you keep doing what you're doing right now, you will keep getting the same results. Be creative. With that said, I would like to wrap up sharing with you a great piece of advice from Marshall. Quote, develop your marketing niche. So if you're doing your marketing the same way as all your competitors are doing their marketing, then you're going to lose at the moment someone outspends you or put more resources than you are. You need to find a way to innovate, get serious about your data, and use your data to guide your business, unquote. Now, let me ask you, are you serious about the marketing of your business? So act and persevere like Brian. By the way, we do have a happy ending. Brian decided that he wasn't going to let his biological mother's event affect him, and he chose to persevere to continue the search for his biological father, which happened in 2015. Since then, he found out he had two younger sisters. They started to build a relationship, and now they have family reunions. Use your data to guide your business. Act. Persevere, and you'll be able to get your name out more or even more with the time and patience. Oh. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.